Well, good morning, church. How's everyone today? Doing well? Beautiful morning outside. How many moms got breakfast in bed this morning? All right, just a few. Good deal. How many dads or, or men are cooking lunch this afternoon? Hopefully there's some more hands going up, or at least going out to dinner, right? Okay. Yeah, that's me too. Good deal. Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. We hope that today is a great day that you're celebrated and your kids enjoy celebrating you. But you know, today is a day that isn't always happy for everyone. You know, maybe your relationship with your mother isn't what you hope it would be. If so, use some time today to pray about it. Uh, maybe use some time to be that motherly influence in someone else's life. Because a way to help us when we're down is to serve somebody else. You know, maybe your mom has passed on. Use today to remember all the good memories you have of her and the lessons that she taught you. And thank God for those memories. Today we're going to go in, back into our James series. And I really can't think of a section of Scripture better than what we're going to talk about today to describe one of the things that our mothers do for us. Today's sermon is titled, Faith That Works When You're Humble. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And let's be honest with, with ourselves this morning. There's probably no one on this earth that can humble us more than our mothers, right? Our moms know us. They know everything about us, inside and out. And a lot of times our moms even know us better than we know ourselves in a lot of ways. And godly moms have been modeling humility and keeping us humble since day one. So I think today's a good topic for Mother's Day. You know, there are four brothers named Campbell who were all preachers. And they were all sitting together at a table at a preaching conference. And a colleague walked up to them. And, uh, of course, their dad and granddad had also been preachers. And a colleague walks up to the table and asks the brothers, he said, Which Campbell is the best preacher? All four brothers in unison said, Mother. Mother is the best preacher. You guys have preaching mothers? Thank God for your preaching mothers. Moms, keep preaching. Sometimes it might seem like your words aren't sinking in, but keep sharing God's Word with your kids anyway. And if you have a preaching mom, listen to her. And it's never too late, moms, to become preaching moms. Because I'll tell you this, there's no one on this planet who has the influence over your children that you have. So thank you, moms, for all you do. Let's give our mothers a round of applause this morning. Thank you for all that you do. So this morning we're going to continue in James. And does anybody remember the slogan we've been talking about all through this series? The we're going to cheat. We're going to put it on the screen for you. The slogan is, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look what? Different. Different than the life and the way the world looks. And we've talked about James writing about this faith that works. It's a faith that's active. It's a faith that's living. And it's a faith that makes a difference in how we handle the bad times versus how the world handles the bad times. It's a faith that makes a difference when you and I face trials and temptations. It's a faith that makes the difference when it's put to the test. It's a faith that makes a difference in how we treat other people, rich and poor and everybody in between. It's a faith that makes the difference in how we talk, the words we use. 
And it's a faith that makes a difference in the way we choose to live. Do we choose to live God's way or the world's way? So if Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look different. And today we're talking about a faith that works when you're humble. Here's some quotes I found about humility. One man said, I want to write a book on humility, and I'm sure it will be a bestseller. Another person said, humility is one of those things you really can't brag about having. That's true, right? And one lady said in a conversation with some friends, if there's one thing that I'm better at than anybody else, it's humility. She might want to check the definition. But Jesus makes a difference in our hearts, doesn't he? He makes a difference in our attitudes. And humility is a foundation to this faith that works that we've been talking about all year. And it's a key to Jesus making a difference in our lives. So we're going to ask a question this morning. And we're going to answer that question with five points for you note takers. And here's the question. Why is humility necessary for an effective faith? Why does Scripture teach us that humility is necessary for us to have an effective faith? Point number one, because God opposes the proud. That's what we read in James chapter 4, verse 7. James says, God opposes the proud. And the word oppose here means to set up a military front as though you're going into battle. So this word oppose is a big deal. It's not just a preference issue for God that we're not proud, but it's actually very important. And one lesson we can all agree on that we know is that we never want to be God's enemy. Amen? You never want to be on the other side of God. If God opposes you, then Scripture teaches us time and time again, you're done. Period. End of story. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. You know why? Because God doesn't lose. And if we're Christians, if we belong to God, if we're covered by the blood of Christ, then guess what? We don't lose either. Amen. Amen. So why would we ever willingly choose to be on a losing team. Does anybody ever say, I want to be a loser, sign me up for that? No, we don't. But every day we struggle with sin, we struggle with this pull between God's way and the world's way. And sin oftentimes is what we choose because we're imperfect humans. James says, be humble because God opposes the proud. And if God is for you, no one can be against you. And this idea is not only seen in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament when God deals with those who try to oppose Him or those who try to oppose His people. And Solomon writes in Proverbs, Proverbs 3.34, Toward the scorners He is scornful, but to the humble He gives favor. Amen. Don't we want God's favor? Don't we need it? Moms, don't you want that for your children? That's what we want for our families. You know, in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter shares the same thing that James does in 1 Peter 5, 5, which says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys, but I need God's grace. Amen? Amen. We need it every day. 
So God opposes the proud. That's the first reason we see in our text for today that, that humility, not pride, is evidence of this faith working in us, this faith that works. Why is humility necessary for an effective faith? Point number two, because a humble heart submits to God. A humble heart submits to God. James chapter 4 verse 7, James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, the word submit is the Greek word hupatasso, which means to place yourself under someone's authority, to put yourself under the obedience of somebody else. And we see this word, scholars tell us, used 10 or 12 times in the New Testament. And in Hebrews 13, this same word submit is used when we're told to submit to the leadership of the church. And here James is using that same word to say, you and I, we need to submit to God. Another military word, to put in proper order or rank, to subject oneself to another person's authority. In this context, God. If we have not submitted ourselves to God, then it won't do us any good to try to resist Satan. Because we can't resist Satan on our own. It's only through the power of God's Spirit dwelling in us that we can overcome that. Amen? Amen. So, I guess a question we need to ask ourselves internally. If I'm having something in my life I'm struggling with, whether it's a sin or an addiction or something I just can't quite overcome or I can't quite kick, the first question to ask, have I submitted to God? That's a great place to start because it's only in submission to God that we can ever overcome these things. But let's be honest. We don't really like to submit to the authority of other people, do we? That's something in our culture that we kind of look down on a little bit because we think that if we submit to someone else's authority, that actually makes us look weak. That's what our culture tells us. But we teach our kids to submit to the authority of teachers and principals at school, and hopefully they do that, right? We submit to our employers when we take a job. Unless you're the boss, you don't get to call the shots, so you have to submit to the authority of the person you're working for. Those of you who've been in the military, you have to submit to the authority of who? Your officers. And if you don't, can you imagine how chaotic a military would be where there's no obedience to the officers? But it takes a lot of humility to submit to somebody. And that's why a lot of people just won't do it. And there's a lot of pushback in our society about submitting to the authority of police or teachers or bosses or even the government. But it's very biblical that we're told to submit to the authority and the ultimate authority especially, which is God himself. You know, we might get by sometimes being rebellious against human authority, but we will never win being rebellious against God. But so many times we try. Because the world tells us something different. You know, in our pride sometimes, we think that we can oppose God. It really won't be that big of a deal. But we see Solomon again writing in, in the book of Proverbs. He says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. So a humble heart, James says, Submits to God. And when we submit to Him, 
we're also submitting to His love and to His grace. And we discover, James says, that we draw closer to Him. And what happens? He draws closer to us. Anybody else want that more in their lives? That's our goal, isn't it? That's the goal for our families. That's the goal for our church. We draw near to God. He draws near to us. And that's what we're to do. And James also tells us what we're to do in interaction with Satan. And you know what he says? Resist. Resist Satan. Stay away. Don't get buddy-buddy with him. Don't get up to that gray line or that murky area where you almost sin. Stay away from all that stuff. God's Word is recorded by James tells us, promises us, when we resist Satan, what's he going to do? He's going to flee. He's going to leave. But you know what we got to remember? He will come back. He will come back. And so this resistance, this, this, when we're called to resist, this is something we have to do every day, probably multiple times a day, because Satan is not going to stop. But guess what? He loses. Amen? He loses. So we want to resist Satan. He'll flee from us. And we need, to have, we need to make sure that we're constantly vigilant with God's help, His Spirit dwelling in us, to constantly be on guard because He will be back. A humble heart submits to God. A humble heart submits to His Spirit. Again, why is humility necessary for an effective faith? Number three, because a humble heart weeps over sin and hypocrisy. You know, James, I love the book of James, and uh, some of you have told me over the last few weeks I've been here that James is your favorite book too. It's my absolute favorite book in Scripture because it doesn't just tell me what to do. It tells me how to do it, and it, it's, it's, it's in my face, and I need that, right? And James is being very blunt here when he writes to the first century Christians, and he's being very blunt to us because he's writing to us as well. And this is kind of some harsh language, but here's what he says in James chapter 4. Verses 8 through 10. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He's not really pulling any punches here. He's kind of laying all out there. He's calling them sinners and double-minded, and he's saying, be wretched, mourn and weep. And it makes me wonder if James was nearby when his half-brother Jesus was addressing the Pharisees. Because this sounds very similar to what Jesus tells them in Matthew 23. Let's read that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees were full of pride, weren't they? Humility was not there in their bag of tricks. <laughs> they were full of pride. And we know that a, pride, a, a proud heart boasts about sin, doesn't it? A proud heart laughs at sin. A proud heart says that sin is normal. It's just what everybody does. A proud heart doesn't take sin seriously. It causes us to think that maybe our rebelliousness against God is not all that bad, that it's not that big of a deal. A proud heart says, don't worry about it. Don't confess and repent. That's not that important. That's what pride says. The Pharisees were double-minded. Jesus says they're two-faced. 
I had someone accuse me of being two-faced one time. And you know what I told him? I said, look, if I really had two faces, do you think this is the one I would choose to wear? <laughs> so if anyone ever calls you two-faced, there's your good comeback, right? But that's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees are being there. You know, you want to appear righteous. Outwardly you are. But inwardly, you're worried about yourself. You're worried about what you want to do. You're worried about your own prestige and your power and your position of authority. And James says, this is not the attitude that Christians need to have. He's not saying that we should just go around and mope and be gloomy all the time. That's not what he's saying. But I think he's saying we need to get our priorities straight and realize sin is important. We have to take it seriously. And I think in a sense, he's telling us, clean up, clean up. Moms will understand this on Mother's Day. When somebody's coming over to your house, what do you do before they get there? You clean, right? You clean. We have three kids, so we have to clean if somebody's coming over. So if you're coming over, call us first so we can clean up. But we clean, right? You, you dust, you sweep, you mop, you, you clean things in the house. Maybe you didn't even know you had because you're getting ready for someone to come over. You're cleaning up. If you're meeting someone of importance for the first time, what do you do? Take a shower, you shave, put on a suit or nice clothes because you want to make a good impression because they're important. God is important to us as believers. And we need to spiff up, clean up, and get ready for interaction with Him. I don't mean outwardly necessarily. I'm talking about inwardly. Do we wake up each morning and pray, God, help my heart to be ready for the things you want me to do today. God, help me see those opportunities to serve that you've laid before me today. Help me not be so concerned with myself and what I want to do, but help me to be humble and see what you want me to do. Help me to mourn for those things that you hate and stay away from those things that break your heart and help me love those things that you love. That's a good prayer to pray to help get our hearts prepared, cleaned up, spiffed up to interact with God. Because guess what? We as believers have His Spirit dwelling in us, and we have an awesome opportunity every day to do something great in His kingdom for His glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's humility, church. Realizing that it's not about us. It's not about what we want. But it's about what He wants. A humble heart weeps over sin. A humble heart confesses sin. A humble heart cries out for God's mercy and grace. A humble heart rejoices when it sees someone come to repentance. A humble heart rejoices when a sinner comes home. So James is saying, don't be double-minded. Let's not be double-minded. Let's be single-minded for Christ. You can't have your mind on the flesh and the spirit at the same time. Although we try every day, it's a struggle. And every time I've been privileged to stand before you, I've tried to always remind all of us, none of these things have we ever been asked to do on our own. But we can only do these things through His Spirit that dwells in us. Amen. Do we draw from that power? Do we seek Him? When's the last time we wept over our own sin or the sinful ways of the culture? When's the last time we experienced joy? Because of repentance. A humble heart weeps over sin and hypocrisy. Why is humility necessary for an effective faith? Point number four. Because a humble heart lifts others up. Don't you like to be lifted up? 
I do. Feels good, doesn't it? You know, we're to do that. But how do we spend our time? How do we spend our time at home with our families? Are we lifting each other up or are we just criticizing? How do we spend our time at work? Are we helping the goal and helping encourage folks or do we just complain all the time? What's our social media life like? Are we on there helping brighten people's days or are we just on there bloviating about our own opinions and claiming what's wrong with the world? Lifting others up is so important. You know, my mom always lifts me up. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what we're talking about, doesn't matter where we are. When I talk to my mom, she has the ability to lift me up. I watch my wife do that with our kids when they're down about something. She can lift them up. They have a natural way for their children to lift them up. Mothers know how to lift up their children. How do we do as believers? Are we lifting each other up? Can you imagine how different life would be if this church spent all week just lifting people up outside these walls. How much better the community would be. How much better our lives would be. Let's continue our reading. James chapter 4, verse 11. James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So the phrase speak evil against is from a compound Greek word that means to speak down to somebody or to speak against somebody. Some versions translate this word as slander. Your version might say slander. And to slander someone means you speak something falsely against them in order to hurt them or maybe ruin their reputation. This is a legal term that we see in, in lawsuits all the time. You've heard the word defamation, right? Defamation, you've got to prove three things. You've got to prove, taking you back to law school 101 here, you've got to prove somebody made a false statement intending to pass it off as truth, that it was published to a third person. If it's libel, it's written. If it's slander, it's oral. And third, that it caused damages. Maybe a reputation issue, maybe a loss of business opportunities or business reputation. Those are the things you got to prove. And some of these cases, if you watch the news the last few weeks, some of these cases are very, very costly. Very, very costly in business. Very costly in our legal world. And James is saying it's costly in our relationships with each other as well. It's not our job to slander, folks. It's our job to lift up. Amen. And, you know, James goes here from kind of talking about our relationship with God to talking about our relationship with others. But the topic is the same. We'll never be able to come near to God when we're slandering other people. How can we buddy up to God if we're holding our brothers and sisters at arm's length? And we can include gossip in this topic as well or this discussion. When you say things about somebody that aren't true or you don't know if they're true and the motivation is to hurt that person or their reputation, that's putting them down. And James says that's not what Christians are to do. We're to lift each other up. Putting, putting people down is not a life that looks any different than what we see in the world, is it? But as Christians, if Jesus has made a difference in our lives, then our lives will look what? Different. Yeah, exactly. Paul told the believers in Thessalonica, he says, encourage one another and build one another up. You know, that's one of the great things, one of the many great things about coming to church, right? We get to build each other up. Don't you feel better when you leave here than when you came? 
Yeah, because we spend time encouraging each other, checking up on each other, praying for each other, right? That's why God gave us this tremendous benefit of a church family. Because we need each other. And we need to be lifted up because guess what? The world tears us down all the time. Let's look different. Let's be different. If you hear something bad about somebody or something you don't know is true, here's a lesson our moms taught us. We'll talk about a lesson our mom taught us on Mother's Day. If you can't say something nice, all right, your all's moms taught you too. That's good. That's a good lesson, right? And that goes along with what James is saying. Just keep your mouth shut, right? You don't have to pass it along. Humility is necessary for an effective faith. Again, Paul says this in Ephesians 4.29. We read this in our focus time from the English Standard Version, but I want to share with the NIV how the NIV translates this. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We talked about this verse a few weeks ago when we talked about the tongue. But I look at this verse and it tells me, I haven't been given the gift of words just for myself. But I have a job to do with my words. And that job is to build others up, not according to what I think or what I need, but according to what they need, so that it may be beneficial. Let's build each other up. Let's build up people we're around every day. Let's help them see Jesus. And why is humility essential to an effective faith? Point number five. Because a humble heart is not judgmental. Let's finish reading through this section of Scripture. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. James says, But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, James doesn't use the word judgmental here, but he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? And a lot of times, if you approach a brother or sister because you see something concerning going on in their lives that maybe is getting them off track, what might be their reaction to you coming to them about that? You can't judge me. Y'all ever heard that or, or maybe even said that? You can't judge me. And the question is, can we judge our brothers? Can we judge our neighbors? And the answer is yes. But it has to be done in the right way. It has to be done in a way that is done in love for concern. James is saying we can't be judgmental. Judgmental means that we rush to judgment without looking for the facts, without even considering what's going on with the goal of maybe hurting that person or tarnishing their reputation, much like slander. But a humble heart is not judgmental. Instead, we need to be judicious. Judicious is a, a related word, but different. And it means that we are sensible, looking at the facts, using wisdom to make final judgments. We do this all the time. We, we make decisions about our families, our jobs, our homes, our, our households, judiciously. We gather all the facts, we weigh everything, and then we make a decision. Anybody else make decisions like that? Hopefully so, right? That's, that's, that's being judicious. And that's what we're to be as Christians. We're going to look at three ways this morning where we are supposed to judge. Not in a judgmental way, but in a judicious way. And the first way is without hypocrisy. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, my eyes start watering, thinking about a speck of something in my eye. You know, when I was going over this at home this morning, my contact rolled up when I was reading this Scripture. And I'm wondering, is that a sign about something? <laughs> but here's the point. I think you look at this Scripture and you can come to the conclusion that we actually have an obligation to help our brother remove the speck from his eye. But we can't do it when we got a log jammed in our own eye, right? So, so here, Scripture is telling us you can't hold others accountable to do or not do something if you're worse off in it than they are. But hopefully the goal is that we both can clean up. But we have to do this with love. So we can't judge with hypocrisy. Third, secondly, we don't just judge by outward appearance, right? In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is at a feast and he's pulled into a debate with some Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders and these Jewish leaders didn't like him. And they accused him of having false motives in his teaching. And Jesus told him this. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. In other words, he's saying, you can judge my teaching and my life. But make sure you have all the facts first. You've heard the saying again from your mother, don't judge a book by what? It's cover, right? You know, in the legal system, if you file a lawsuit, it might take three years, four years to get the case to trial. And people get frustrated with that sometimes, and rightly so. But you know why it takes that long? Because you can't go to trial until you've gathered all the facts to be put into evidence. It's important. It would be improper to try a case without the facts. No one would want a judgment without having facts to get to that judgment. And it's the same way here, church. We can't judge by just outward appearance or just by the things we hear. If you hear some rumor or juicy gossip, don't jump to conclusions. Anybody in here like the movie Office Space? You remember Tom from Office Space, what he created? The jump to conclusions mat, right? Don't do that. We don't need a jump to conclusions mat. We don't jump to conclusions. But instead, we have to be judicious. You know, speaking about not looking at outward appearance here for judgment, you remember when David, no one thought David should be king, Right? No one thought he, he didn't fit the mold. He was the smallest, he was the youngest, and humankind, mankind, thought there's no way this guy should ever be king. Even Samuel the prophet. And we read in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Talking about Eliab, David's older brother. Then he goes on, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Amen. We have a bomb over here, do we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, when we see something about someone or hear something about someone, pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray for spiritual eyesight that only God can provide. And pray for what to do next to be led by God's Holy Spirit. Because we do this not out of what we think, but in humility based on what God wants us to do. 
And thirdly, we judge for true accountability. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's dealing with a lot of problems in this troubled church. And they had a, in their fellowship a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul said, not even the pagans do that. And he encouraged, he actually admonished the church there to hold this man accountable. He says, what kind of church are you if you know this is going on and you allow it? If you don't do anything about this, you're sending that man and his family, that woman, and who knows who else to hell. Because God will judge them. What kind of witness are you in the community if you know this is going on, but you've not done anything to address it? So he says, for what, I have, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So we see three examples in Scripture that complement what James is telling us here. They all work together. We're called to be judicious out of concern for others. But never judgmental for our own ambition. That's what James is saying. And what we can say about all this church is that if Jesus has made a difference in your life, and if your faith is working, a working faith, then your life is going to overflow with humility. You'll be judicious in your decisions, not judgmental. And the Spirit of God will work within you to make you more and more each day the person He wants you to be. So what's our challenge this week? Our challenge is to be humble in all circumstances. Be humble. Approach your family with humility. Approach your coworkers with a humble heart. Be humble toward that checkout clerk at Walmart who has the long line and is having a bad day. Even be humble about that person on 64 going slow in the fast lane. That's my struggle. I'll give you that one. That's a tough one. But when we approach those situations in a human way, we're doing it out of pride for what we think is best. Because i got to get where I'm going. What if instead we listened to God's Spirit and approached it with humility, saying, God, control my heart here. Lead me the way you want me to be. If we approach life this week with humility, we're going to experience more joy. We're going to experience more love. We're going to experience more peace. And we're going to have a better opportunity to show this faith that works, this effective faith that works, to someone else who needs Jesus. So why is humility important and effective to having a working faith? Because that's how we show folks Jesus. He paid a huge price for all of us at Calvary. Died in our place when he had done nothing wrong. So that we can live a life here that's abundant, church. Not a life of doom and gloom and can and can'ts. But a life that is abundant. Walking in His light. Walking with His Spirit dwelling in us. And that should excite us every day. And help us pray for hearts ready for God to work. He will make a difference in your life. But we have to let Him. May it be our prayer that we do so. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that you be with every heart who's here today. Father, help us to approach life with humility. Help us, Father, to be the examples, the godly examples you want us to be wherever we go. Lord, I pray that we will show Jesus to this world that so desperately needs it. And I pray, Father, that we will approach this week not concerned with everything that we want, but concerned with the opportunities you have for us 
to serve you, to show you, and to make a difference, Lord, not for us, but so that you are glorified. God, we thank you this morning, especially for our mothers. Thank you for the, the lessons they've taught us, the examples that they've been. And Father, I just pray that you will help us to honor our mothers today because we know they are a gift from you. And Father, if our mothers are no longer with us, help us to cherish those memories, which we also know are a gift from you. Thank you, Father, for all things in this life. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Anybody struggle with the perfect Mother's Day gift this week? Sometimes it's hard to know what to get mom, right? Because maybe mom has everything. Well, I'll tell you, if you're not a Christian, the greatest gift you could ever give your mother is coming to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've not done that and you want to talk about that, I'll be right down here. If you have a need, we're here for any need that you have. Stand and we'll sing out a closing song. Thanks.